Colossians 4, uh, verses 2 through 6. And the Word of God says this, Continue in prayer and watch in the same with thanksgiving, with all praying also for us, that God would open unto us a door of utterance to speak the mystery of Christ, for which I am also in bonds, that I may, may make it manifest as I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom towards them that are without, redeeming the time. Let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer every man. And let's pray together. Lord, we do thank you for your word. Thank you, Lord, for this service and for the good spirit here at Cornerstone Baptist Church. We praise you for it. But God, I pray, Lord, as we look into your word now, that you would um, teach us some things, help us, Lord, to uh, perhaps give attention to some things that maybe have uh, been neglected a little bit. And I pray, Lord, that you would help us uh, to have a Christian life that truly pleases you. We pray these things in the Lord Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Well, in the book of Colossians, we have learned a lot about who Jesus is and what he has done and what our relationship with Christ really means. In chapter number three, again, uh, Paul reminds us that we are, as believers, risen with Christ. We are a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And as a result, we are to let that truth be evident in really every area of our life. There's really not an area that uh, should, that should not be evident in. Um, we, he talked about how it should be evident in our home life, in our marriages. It should be evident in uh, the relationship between uh, children and parents. And then we talked about as well, uh, or Paul did, that uh, it ought to be evident in our work life. Uh, whether you're an employee or an employer, it, it should be evident in all of that. And, uh, and now, today, in this passage, uh, we're going to see him really just highlight some areas of the Christian life that it ought to be evident in, that uh, uh, as believers, uh, we ought to uh, reflect Christ in our entire life. And uh, when the wife of, uh, I was reading about the wife of missionary Adoniram Judson, and uh, she told him that a newspaper article came out and, and likened him, Judson, to some of the apostles. And uh, she thought this would be an encouragement to my husband. So, hey, there's this newspaper article, and it's saying that you're, you're a lot like some of the apostles. And Judson replied, well, I don't want to be like a Paul or any mere man. I want to be like Christ. I want to follow him only, copy his teachings, drink in his spirit, place my feet in his footprints, oh, to be more like Christ. What a, what a wonderful uh, and, and a great example for all of us, uh, not to be like Adam Judson, but to be like Christ. And uh, he had the right perspective. Our goal is not to necessarily follow the example of the Apostle Paul, but more the example of Christ. And, and as a believer, we're risen with Christ. Uh, we're in Christ. Christ is in us. And uh, as a result, we should begin to reflect Christ more and more in our lives. So we're going to look at three important aspects of the Christian life 
three aspects that need our attention that Paul uh, talks and points out here. So three aspects that need our attention. Let's look at them very briefly this, this evening. Number one, our prayer life needs some attention. He says in verse number two, continue in prayer and watch in the same with thanksgiving, with all praying also for us. Now, if you were to ask the average Christian if they believe that prayer is an important part of the Christian life, I would say the vast majority would enthusiastically say, yes, it's an important part of the Christian life. But then if you followed up, if you had a follow-up question, and you ask them this next question, well then how much time do you spend in prayer each day? I would guess that the enthusiasm would fade just a tad. They wouldn't be as enthusiastic to uh, answer that particular question. You see, uh, many Christians know a lot about prayer, but sadly, many don't actually pray. And here Paul instructs us to give attention to our prayer life because it is so very important in our lives. I mean, it's a wonderful uh, resource that God has given to us, and yet it is so... Um, not used. And uh, I, I know that's sometimes true in my life. And, and it, it's such an important part of the Christian life, and it needs some attention. And he gives us four characteristics in this passage here that should describe our prayer life. Okay, what are these uh, characteristics? First of all, our prayer life should be faithful. It should be faithful. Verse number two. Uh, he says this, continue in prayer. Continue in prayer. It was the early church who also were faithful in their prayers. Acts 2.42, it says of the early church, they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, fellowship, and in breaking bread, and in prayers. See, their prayer life was uh, something that they were very faithful in. They continued in it. Continued in it. A.W. Tozer said, the early church took great delight in prayer. They had prayer meetings almost every day. They gathered together for prayer. Today, the contemporary church gathers together for dinner. The early church was fasting and praying, which may show the difference before us today. Uh, our church, I want our church, and I desire our church to be a praying church. Because I believe that's a church that God can mightily bless. But if we don't think we need to pray, then that's a form of pride where we don't think we need God. We better be careful on that one. 1 Thessalonians chapter number 5, Paul instructs the church there at Thessalonica to pray without ceasing. Uh, this means uh, that we don't ever stop the conversation with God. And again, I, I've talked about this, you know, you know do, you, do you pray and then, you know, say, I can't do anything else for the rest of my life. I just have to pray for the rest of my life. I, I'm sorry, I can't go to church. I can't go to work. I can't go to school. I can't do anything because I have to pray without ceasing. That's not what it means. It means to, uh, just like my wife and I will throughout the day, keep a conversation going. We'll text each other. We'll call each other. Um, and uh, we'll keep that conversation going throughout the day. That should be what describes our prayer life, that we just keep that conversation going throughout the day. 
So, and it also means, hey, if you've been praying for something, don't quit praying until God answers that prayer. And, and many times it's wait. Sometimes it's no. Um, sometimes it's yes, but don't stop praying and asking God. Two passages I want to show you real quick about the faithfulness of our prayers. They're both found in the book of Luke. So if you turn to Luke chapter number uh, 11 to start with, and to hold your place here in Colossians, Luke chapter number 11, and verse number 1. It came to pass that as he, Jesus, was praying in a certain place. Again, our example is not the Apostle Paul. Our example is Christ. And, and Jesus would oftentimes be found in prayer. Well, as he was praying in a certain place, when he stopped praying, one of his disciples said unto him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John also taught his disciples. And, and that was a really good, sincere question, and, and one that I'm glad that somebody asked that question, because then we go into uh, verses 2 through 4 is really the model prayer, you know, our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done as it is in heaven, so in earth. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we also uh, forgive everyone that is indebted to us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. But here the disciples asked him, Lord, teach us to pray. And he gave them the model prayer. But then, notice in verse number 5, he goes into a, an illustration. And he says this in verse 5, Which of you shall have a friend, and shall go unto him at midnight, and say unto him, Friend, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine in his journey has come to me, and I have nothing to set before him. Okay, now, uh, I'm everybody's friend. I want to be everybody's friend in here tonight. But, but, but if you come knocking on my door at midnight and say, Hey, can I have a loaf of bread? I'm like, I think Winco's open or something like that. Go get some there. Uh, but that's not how it worked back in those days, of course. Um, I think Winco's open at that point, or uh, Walmart is, or hey, uh, come back in the morning. Well, that's what he said here. Uh, verse number 7. And he from within shall answer and say, trouble me not. And it's probably, he's kind of probably got a groggy voice, you know. Trouble me not. The door is now shut. My children are with me in bed. I cannot rise and give thee. In other words, go away, go home, go to bed. We're sleeping. Verse number 8, I say unto you, though he will not rise and give him, because he is his friend, but then here it is, yet because of his importunity, he will rise and give him as many as he needeth. Basically, in other words, in order for him to go away, he's going to go and say, all right, fine, fine, fine. Because you keep knocking on my door, because you keep saying, hey, can you give me some bread? Can you give me some bread? Uh, this guy's going to say, all right, fine, let me go get some bread and you, so I can get rid of you. <laughs> but this guy kept knocking, kept knocking, kept knocking. And, and, and here Jesus is saying, look, and go, go to verse number 9 here. It says, And I say unto you, ask and, it shall be, uh, ask, and it shall be given you. Seek, and you shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. For everyone that asketh receiveth. And he that seeketh findeth. And to him that knocketh, it shall be opened. 
If a son shall ask bread of any of you that is a father, will he give him a stone? Or if he ask a fish, will he, give a, will he for a fish give him a serpent? Or if he shall ask an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? If ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask him? See, what the, the Lord Jesus is trying to teach them here is when it comes to your prayer life, uh, don't just pray once and then, oh, I guess he didn't hear me. Or I guess the answer is no. Keep asking. Stay faithful in your prayers. Okay, Luke 11, that's Luke 11. Let's go to Luke chapter 18. Luke chapter number 18. And verse number 1, again. Luke, Luke 18, 1, And he spake a parable unto them to this end, that men ought always to pray and not to faint. So, in other words, to keep asking, to keep asking. This is, this is a powerful little parable here. In verse 2, he said, There was a city, there was in a city a judge which feared not God, neither regarded man. He didn't care about anybody. He certainly didn't care about God, nor, nor did he care about anybody else. Well, verse 3, There was a widow in that city, and she came unto him, saying, Avenge me of mine adversary. Now, he didn't care about this lady, and he certainly didn't care about justice because he didn't love, he didn't fear God. And verse 4, though he would not for a while. I mean, he was like, I don't care about you, lady. I just want to get my paycheck, and I just want to live my life, and everybody will leave me alone. I don't care about anybody else. I don't care about God or his law. But she kept asking him, Judge, you need to avenge me of mine adversary. Verse 4, though, and, and he would not for a while, but afterward he said within himself, Though I fear not God, nor regard man, yet because this widow troubleth me, because she keeps coming after me and saying, Please avenge me of mine adversary. Please uh, grant my request. She keeps coming after him over and over and over again. He's like, Look, I don't care about God. I don't care about your situation. I just want to get done with you. So he says this in verse 5, Yet because this widow troubleth me, I will avenge her, lest by her continual coming she weary me. <laughs> he was just sick and tired of her coming and uh, doing this over and over and over again. Okay, and then the Lord Jesus makes the point in verse number 6, Hear what the unjust judge saith. Shall not God avenge his own elect, which cry day and night unto them, though he bear long with them. I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man cometh, shall he find faith on the earth. So here's the example. He was trying to communicate that to them that they ought always to pray and not to faint, faith to be or faint to be, but to be faithful in their prayers. And uh, I want to encourage all of us to be faithful in our prayers. We can flip back to Colossians chapter number 4. And, and he says, continue in prayer. Our prayer life should be faithful. Our prayer life, secondly, should be watchful. In verse number 2, he says, continue in prayer and watch in the same. Uh, watch and pray is often uh, used together in the Scriptures. Nehemiah first used this concept of being watchful as we pray. And Nehemiah 4 and verse number 9 says, Nevertheless, we made our prayer unto God and set a watch against them day and night because of them. So it's kind of, 
you know, with one eye closed in prayer and the other eye open as we're watching and for the enemy and, and being aware of what's going on around us. Jesus himself instructed his disciples to watch and pray on a couple of occurrence uh, instances in, chap in Mark, once in chapter 13, once in chapter 14. And Paul used this phrase here in uh, Colossians 4.2 to watch in prayer. But he also did in Ephesians chapter number uh, 6 and verse number 8. Ephesians 6.18, I'm sorry. Um, he says this, Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. So the idea behind this is us being awake and aware of what's going on around us in our prayers and also being awake and alert as we're praying, right? Sometimes we can start praying and drifting off to sleep. Um, we, let's be awake. Let's be watchful. And, and also an encouragement for us to keep our eyes on the Lord as we are praying and in our, in our prayer life that we're keeping a, a watch on, on, on Him and, and making sure that we're wanting His will done uh, with our prayers. So our prayer life should be faithful. It should be watchful. Thirdly, our prayer life should be thankful. In chapter 4 here, in Colossians 4.2, it says, Continue in prayer and watch in the same with thanksgiving. With thanksgiving. Philippians 4.6 says, Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. So the selfish prayer life is one of only asking. Where it's just like, hey God, I, you know, I need you to do this, 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 and this. It's, it's almost like you're God's boss. Or please do this, please do that, please do that. Rather than having a balance, see the selfish prayer life is one of only asking, but the spiritual prayer life is one of a good balance of giving thanks as well as asking. Remember the story of the ten lepers that Jesus told about? Only one of one. How many were thankful? Uh, I would say all ten of them were thankful that they were healed, but only one gave thanks. And it's a difference between being thankful and, and, and expressing that gratitude. Only one of them came back to give thanks. Back in uh, 1860, there was a ministerial student named Edward Spencer in Evanston, Illinois, who was part of a life-saving squad. Well, that year, a ship went aground on the shore of Lake Michigan near Evanston, and Edward Spencer waded again and again into that frigid waters to rescue 17 passengers. He was an absolute hero. But in that process of going in those cold waters over and over and over again, his health was permanently damaged. Well, some years later, near the end of his life, he was bound in a wheelchair thanks to that incident. Edward Spencer sadly said this, Not one of those rescued ever came back and even said thank you. How sad. But wait a minute, all of us, we're lost and undone. We could not save ourselves. 
that we were doomed until the Lord came down and brought us up out of a horrible pit, out of the miry clay, and set our feet upon a rock and established our goings. He, he's adopted us into His family. He has forgiven us of all our sin. He's given us eternal life. Friend, the least we can do is to give Him thanks on a regular basis, don't you think? To express our gratitude for all that He has done. And so, yes, uh, prayer is us asking, but it is also an opportunity for us to give Him thanks for all that He has done. Continue in prayer and watch in the same with thanksgiving. So our prayer life should be faithful. It should be watchful and then thankful. And then fourthly, our prayer life should be purposeful. Purposeful. Verse number three, Paul says, pray With all praying also for us, that God would open unto us a door of utterance to speak the mystery of Christ, for which I am also in bonds. Now, a reminder that Paul was in prison when he wrote this, and uh, the requests that he was praying for were not for the doors of the prison to open so that he could have freedom. No, he asked for prayer, that the doors of opportunity to preach the gospel would open up to him. And that shows us his priorities there. But one thing I really want to point out in this is that as uh, Paul was, Paul could have said, praying also for us, period. But instead, he continues on and gives a specific request that God would open unto us a door of utterance to speak the mystery of Christ, for which also I am in bonds. Look, many times when we do pray, and I do this too, we pray vague prayers. Lord, please bless me today. Please bless my family. Please bless our church. I'm not, I'm not saying that these are bad prayers, and I would encourage you to keep praying those. But I do want to encourage us to grow to where we're praying more specifically. Uh, Paul here is encouraging a specific prayer request. Instead of me just saying, please bless my kids. Please bless my wife. A better prayer is, Lord, please protect my wife today as I'm away from her. Please help her to think rightly about you, to set her affection on things above. Please help her to make good decisions, grant her wisdom as she ministers to our children, as she goes to the marketplace and does all her errands today. And Give her opportunities, Lord, to witness for you. And when I pray for my children, it's instead of just, Lord, please bless my kids today. Lord, please bless Seth as he's at college, that he would keep his priorities right, that he would uh, walk with you and, and have, a, have, a, have a heart for you, Lord, and, and that you would help him as he does his, his classes and that he learns what he needs to learn while he's there and that he focuses during the class times and is not distracted. Help him, help him, Lord, with all the different responsibilities that he has to keep his priorities right and to have time to accomplish it all. And help him to pay rent. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> Make sure he pray, pays his insurance. Um, but do you see the difference between, Lord, please bless my kids, please bless my wife, versus praying for some specific needs in their life? 
I would encourage all of us to grow in that area of our prayer life, to pray purposefully. So, what about our Christian life should we give attention to? First of all, our prayer life. It should be faithful, watchful, thankful, and purposeful. Secondly, as we move along here tonight, we should give attention to our preaching life. Our preaching life. In verse number 3, again, Paul says, uh, here's what I want you to pray for, that God would open unto us a door of utterance to speak the mystery of Christ, that I may make manifest as I ought to speak. Now, Paul's priority here was not to be a free man. Instead, it was to be a faithful minister. A big difference. I think if I was in prison and I was writing... Cornerstone Baptist Church, a letter, I would say, please pray that I get out of this horrible place. <laughs> this place is the pits. I don't want to be here anymore. Please pray that I would be released very soon. Uh, but that's not what Paul, uh, that's not what his prayer request was. His prayer request was, hey, while I'm in here, pray that God gives me opportunities to preach the gospel to the people that I'm around. That's a tremendous priority. See, Paul was a preacher, and he was passionate about preaching the gospel, preaching the truth to others. In fact, in 1 Corinthians 9, 16, Paul said this, For though I preach the gospel, I have nothing to glory of, for necessity is laid upon me. Yea, woe is unto me if I preach not the gospel. It was such a, a heavy weight on his life. It was like, it has to come out. I've just got to preach. Now, I know that many of you think that preaching is for pastors and evangelists. And uh, now, it is for pastors and evangelists. We better know how to preach, and we better preach the Word. But it's not only for pastors and evangelists. No, no. Every believer is called to preach the gospel to every creature. Acts 15 and verse 35 says this, Paul also and Barnabas continued in Antioch, teaching and preaching the word of the Lord. And then here's the next four words of that verse. So Paul and Barnabas continued teaching and preaching the word of the Lord with many others also. So Paul and Barnabas, yeah, we look at them as, you know, preachers. They're the ones that are getting the gospel out. But many others also were joining in and teaching and preaching the word of the Lord as well. So here at Cornerstone Baptist Church, I want our church to not just have one preacher. I believe that the Lord desires that each and every one of us would be a preacher. That, that each would uh, all preach the gospel at home to our children, to our families. To preach the gospel at work to preach the gospel at school, to preach the gospel here at church with the different ministries we have here, to preach the gospel to our neighbors, to our family, to our friends, to everyone we come in contact with. I mean, I was thinking about this as I was putting this message together and writing this all out, and I just wrote this. Imagine if everyone in our church would do that this week, what kind of impact we could have in our community. If all of us, we're just everywhere we go, we're looking for people and opportunities to preach the gospel. I'm not saying, oh boy, our church is going to get so big that way. I don't really care about the size of our church, but imagine the impact it can make in the lives of those within our community. People coming to Christ. Boy, is it, wouldn't that be amazing? <laughs> and you know what? It's entirely possible. 
each and every one of us can go from this place saying, you know what? I never went to Bible college. I didn't ever take a homiletics class. I don't know how to, I don't know how to preach, but I'm going to preach this week. And look, obviously this doesn't mean we need to get a three-point alliterated outline and, and go around everywhere and have a lectern and say, all right, hey, Jaden, open your Bible to Psalm 22. Let's all stand for the reading of God's Word now. Uh, that, 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 obviously, I'm not talking about that, okay? <laughs> Although, <laughs> what I'm talking about is, Jaden, has anyone ever showed you from the Bible how you can know for sure you're on your way to heaven? Has anybody ever talked to you about Jesus Christ? Do you know him personally? That's what I'm talking about. Can we all do that? Like, that's not that difficult. I don't think you need to take a homiletics class to do that. You should have a concern and a care for somebody and a willingness to be obedient to the call of Christ on every believer. So, tonight, we need to give attention to our preaching life. Paul certainly did, and we do too. 1 Peter 3 and verse number 15 uh, Peter says, Sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. Be ready. As you go to work tomorrow, don't go and say, Okay, i got to get this done, this done. That's fine to have that thought, but somewhere on the list, i got to get the gospel to my coworkers. How can I do that today? I realize that some businesses have some limitations on that. I get that, but... There's ways you can do it. And ask God for wisdom. Ask God for creativity. Ask God for opportunities. That's what Paul was doing. Lord, open unto me a door so that I can give the gospel out. So preaching the gospel was a real priority in Paul's Christian life. By the way, it should be, as, it should be in ours as well. And again, Paul's not necessarily the example here. The Lord Jesus is. I mean, he is the gospel. And uh, he will preach the gospel as well. And uh, he's our example. And we need to preach with our life, with our testimony, but also with our lips. And that leads me to the third aspect of our Christian life. And that is, we are to give attention to our public life. In verse number 5 and 6, he says, Walk in wisdom toward them that are without redeeming the time. And then he says, let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer every man. So, really, if we're going to preach, we better make sure that our public life backs up our message, right? And he mentions a couple aspects here of our public life. First, he mentions our walk. In verse 5, he says, walk in wisdom toward them that are without redeeming the time. This is our public testimony. This is, this is our, our manner of life that people are able to see. Um, and there's no question uh, tonight that uh, having a godly Christian testimony is a biblical requirement for pastors. First uh, Timothy 3 and verse 7, Paul says to Timothy, Moreover, he, the pastor, must have a good report of them which are without, lest he fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. It's a biblical requirement. So any church that has a pastor, 
that pastor needs to have a good testimony with those in the bill collectors and neighbors and former co-workers. He needs to have a godly testimony with uh, those around him. But look, having a godly testimony to the world is not just for pastors. This principle is found throughout the New Testament for every believer. Here in Colossians 4 and verse number 5, walk in wisdom towards them that are without, redeeming the time. But then in Romans 12 and verse 17 is another reference. Recompense, Paul says, to no man evil for evil. Provide things honest in the sight of all men. 1 Thessalonians 4 and verse number 12, that ye may walk honestly toward them that are without, and that ye may have lack of nothing. The, the phrase, them that are without, is, a, is meaning they're without salvation, they're without Christ. They're the unsaved, and it's not that we're better than them, it's not that we look down our nose at them, but that we live a life that points to a change. There ought to be a difference in our life. And they ought to see uh, a life of honesty, a, a life of integrity, a life of uh, doing what's right. 1 Thessalonians 5, 21 and 22 is another reference. Approve all things, hold fast that which is good, abstain from all appearance of evil. And then Peter mentions it too, 1 Peter 2 and verse number 12, having your conversation honest among the Gentiles. The words they may they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works, which they shall behold, glorify God in the day of visitation. So each and every Christian should give attention to their public life and their walk. I read about the Christian walk of Dr. Will Hooten, and I'm not sure if I'm saying his right his name right, but Dr. Will Hooten, a preacher, and he became the president of Moody Bible Institute. Back in the 1940s, he played a large role in the conversion of an agnostic who was contemplating suicide. And here's the story. This skeptic was desperate, but he decided that if he could find one minister who actually lived his, lived his faith like he said he would, he would actually listen to him. So this, this man who was in despair and about ready to end his own life, he actually hired a private detective to watch this preacher. When the investigator's report came back, it revealed that this preacher's life was absolutely above reproach. He was the real deal. He was for real. And so the agnostic went to Hewton's church, accepted Christ, and ended up later sending his daughter to Moody Bible Institute. <laughs> it was all because this man did what we're talking about here, walking in wisdom towards them that are without, redeeming the time. You see, our talk talks and our walk talks, but our walk talks are much louder than our talk talks. But this doesn't mean that your talk doesn't talk at all. It still matters, and... Um, you better make sure that uh, that's in check as well. And that leads me to, secondly here, on this thought of our public life, not only our walk, but our words. Our words. See, in verse number 6, he says, Let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt, that ye may know how ye ought to answer every man. 
Um, I know that there, there are times when all of us kind of get like irritated at something or frustrated. Um, this, is a, this is a lame illustration here, but on the way home from church today, uh, we stopped at uh, Arby's for lunch and we all ordered our meals and we all got a small fry and we all got it in the bag. Well, we got to the table at Arby's and we all pulled out all of our stuff and every one of our, every one of our fries was like, not full. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? Where it's like, man, I paid all that money and you could put a few more on top. I mean, that doesn't cost you that much. And I like the Arby fries. Some of you may be going there tonight. You're like, that's a good idea. <laughs> but, but I'm telling you, every one of ours was like not full. And I was like, man, you know, and I started going, starting to complain a little bit. And uh, I'm like, I should probably go up there and ask them, not, and not in a mean way. But, you know, hey, is there any way that you know, maybe you could fill these up because I'm pretty sure we paid full price for all these fries. So since we paid full price, maybe we could have full fries, you know, it just kind of makes sense, you know. And, and so my, my family said, no, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. And, and I just stayed and we didn't, we didn't go get more fries in our dumb, dumb example. But, you know, some people can get pretty irritated about that. And I remember working at all the different places I've worked um, you know, all the different retail places and McDonald's especially. I mean, people would come in there and they would, they would throw a little fit because uh, we forgot to not put onions on their burger. It's like they would throw that down and like, you better give me my money back and, and uh, you better hook me up with the free apple pie and on and on it went. I'm like, wow, Seriously? Okay, th should that be a way that Christians talk? Let your speech be... Oh, don't you wish this next word wasn't in there? Let your speech be... Sometimes when you're feeling like it, don't you wish it was like that? Let your speech be... When you're feeling spiritual, then you can speak with grace. But it says, let your speech be always with grace... Whether you're feeling like it or not, whether you have a full fries or they gypped you, have a good spirit. Let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt. And that's, a, again, a silly illustration, but, but there's some serious things that do take place in our lives where we're tempted, right, to give them a piece of our mind. Is that going to really do any good, especially if you're trying to witness to them? Especially trying to lead them to Christ and be a godly testimony. No, but I paid for those fries, or I, I deserve that, and, and blah, 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 goes. Let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer every man. Just a few verses here, and then we'll wrap this up, but... I was thinking about the, again, our example in all of these is not really the Apostle Paul. It's, it's a greater example, and that's the Lord Jesus. And, and did the Lord Jesus have good speech, graceful, gracious speech? 
Now, I know that there's times when he was firm and, and uh, very serious. And, and when he came into the temple and overthrew the money changers' tables, he wasn't Mr. Gracious in those moments. But by and large, he had grace coming out of his mouth. In a, uh, in a psalm, Psalm 45 and verse number 12, it was promised of the Messiah that this is what uh, would happen here. Thou art fairer than the children of men. Grace is poured into thy lips. Therefore, God hath blessed thee forever. So in a reference to the Messiah, it's gonna, it said when, when he comes, grace is going to be poured into his lips. And we do know that Jesus was filled with grace and truth. And then in Luke chapter 4 and verse 22, it was said of Jesus, and all bear him witness and wondered at the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth. Do people wonder at the gracious words which proceed out of your mouth? Where they're like, uh, yeah, he's speaking his mind again, or she's speaking her mind again. Or are they always with grace? Ephesians 4 and verse number 15, Speak the truth in love, Paul says. I may grow up into him all things which is the head, even Christ. Speaking the truth in love. Look, I'm not saying we need to minimize or, or compromise or anything like that, but we, but we can speak it in love. We can speak it with grace. See, here at Cornerstone Baptist Church, uh, we have we have some strong standards and and and, and, and convictions on, on certain things. We can have some strong strong stand on some areas and some truth, but we can have a gracious spirit as we do so. I don't want to be obnoxious and go you know. Now, now, if it comes down to it and somebody comes and, and, and attacks the truth, then, you know, I, I hope we would all have some backbone and stand up for the truth. But, but we can do so in a gracious, graceful manner. Ephesians 4 and 29 says this, No, no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. That's what he's saying here in Colossians 4, 6. Someone wrote this poem, and it's not very long. A wise old owl lived in an oak. The more he heard, the less he spoke. The less he spoke, the more he heard. Why can't we all be like the wise old bird? Good question. In the book of Ecclesiastes, we're told to let our words be few. Sometimes we forget that God has given us two ears and only one mouth. We think it's the other way around. God's given us two mouths and only one ear. But how awkward would that look? Uh, we need to speak perhaps less and learn to speak with grace. Always. Not just when we're feeling the vibe, but always. Season the salt that you may know how you ought to answer every man. Now, our walk and our words should match. They should harmonize. The manner of our life and the message of our lips should align. And when that happens, then, my friend, you and I have a power. We can be a powerful witness for the Lord Jesus Christ. But when they don't match, 
You can say all you want, but if your life doesn't back it up, then And if your life says something, but then everything that comes out of your mouth is uh, rude and obnoxious and, and harsh, then are people going to really want what you have in your life? I don't think so.